Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. And Father, we want to just take a moment to still our hearts, Lord, before you and just acknowledge your presence right now in this place. Lord, acknowledge that uh, those who seek you diligently with all their hearts will find you. And Lord, we want to seek you right now. We want to be diligent, as I said before, as we put all these ingredients together, Lord God, we do it so that we would seek you, so that we would hear from you, Lord. Uh, as we look to the pages of the scripture, God, that you would, you would really speak to us, that we would really uh, sense you leading us, directing us, filling us with wisdom, and giving us all that we need for life, for godliness. Uh, may that take place right now by the power of the Holy Spirit as we surrender ourselves to you and submit to the authority of the Word of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 17, I want to tell you guys a few things about God that the Bible says. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And I love that. It's not just exceedingly. It's not just abundantly. It's exceedingly abundantly. I mean, the author is really trying to get you to understand. Like, God is, your understanding is here. My understanding is probably down here. I'll be real. God is like way, way up here. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. The Bible also says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. God has things in store for you, Christian, that, not just you, Christian, I looked right at Christian when I said that. I meant Christians in general. God has more in store for you as a Christian than you could ever even imagine or comprehend. He's, he's amazing. He's awesome. Now, when I was growing up, I used to watch a channel called MTV. Yeah, you guys know MTV? Yeah. That, this was back in the day when you had to actually just watch what, what they were playing. You couldn't, like, no on-demand, right? TiVo wasn't even a thing yet, all right? And so I, watching MTV, they came out with a show called Diaries. And it was kind of like a behind-the-scenes for the various artists. And their slogan for Diaries was, you think you know, but you have no idea. And it was like to get you all, oh, man, I want to know more like to get you excited about the show, but they would have the artists say this slogan before and after the, the segments, before commercial breaks, and honestly, it came across like very pretentious, like, you think you know about me, but you have no idea, and like, oh, like the high and mighty celebrities, like we peasants don't, that's how it kind of came across, we peasants could never, the common general public you're just way too high for us, for our understanding, that's how, kind of how it felt, in fact, some of, one artist was like, he, I think they, got, they understood it was kind of like a very, um, kind of an arrogant, pretentious thing to say. And they're like, you think you know, and well, you, you probably do. And that was kind of like the joke. But God, guys, God truly is someone who is beyond and above our understanding. God is the, God is the one, not people. people we're, we are like everyone else out there. They are all like us. There's no uh, temptation such as common to man. We all understand each other, that we are flawed. We all put our pants on one leg at a time, unless you got really good at jumping into them. I knew a couple of guys, but that's about just a handful of guys that could do that. But we all know the human condition, and we all identify with it, but God is truly above and beyond our understanding. And God plans to do great things on grander scales than we can even imagine. And every day, He sees us down here trying to figure out why things happen. And that's a good, I mean, there's a lot of whys to life, a lot of difficult seasons. 
He sees us trying to anticipate what he's going to do next. He sees us even suggesting and telling him what he should do next. And he's like, you know what? You, you think you know, but you have no idea. Like You have no idea what I'm working. And for Abraham, the father of faith, it was no different. Abraham, the, the amazing thing about Abraham is he's a man that we can relate with. He struggled to understand God's plans and promises for him. And God even showed up like in person and told him. And he still struggled to understand what God wanted to do. In chapter 15, we saw Abram get discouraged. God came to assure him. He said, fear not. I'm your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. He, sought, he lowered his expectations for God's promise. And God's like, hey, I want to give you a reminder. Every time you seek to lower your expectations for my will for you, my abilities, my promise, go look at the night sky. Go look at the stars and see how vast it is. And think of how great I am. Think of how amazing the promise will be. He gave him that reminder. Well, in this chapter, chapter 17, he shows up again because Abram finds himself in a place where he's drifted from the promises of God and he's in need of more reminding of what God actually said. And the the reminder we find in this chapter is better because it's more frequent than the night sky itself. It's a name change. And he changes Sarah's name as well, Sarai, to Sarah, as we'll see. And so every time they would have a conversation with each other, Anytime someone would call them by name, it would be a reminder, a constant reminder of how God's plans were greater than they anticipated. And that's what we're going to see here. As he gives them a new name, the the previous names that we'll see, Abram and Sarai, they're just little foreshadowings, foretastes of what God would actually do, the grand thing God would actually allow them to become. He's like, "You, you think you're here. You, your, your name is Abram, father. That's what you think you are, but I'm going to tell you, you're, you're greater than that. You're more than, I am calling you to be more than that and calling you to more than that. So before we get into the text, though, I want you guys to realize as well, a little bit of context, it has been 13 years since chapter 16. Now, we tend to read the Bible like it's an episode of 24, right? Like just bam, 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 all these events unfolding minute after minute. And it's not like that. It's more like a BBC drama where like you tune into the next episode and it's like two years later and you're like, what? You're just going to skip two years? 13 years later is where we pick it up now. Ishmael, the kid that they just had in the flesh, is now 13 years old. Um, and they, they've spent 13 years in this unhealthy family situation without hearing directly from God. And so for all they know, this is God's will. This is God's plan. This is God's promise fulfilled. It's messy. It's not what they anticipated Um, it really was a work of their flesh, and they don't realize that God is still planning to do what He said He was going to do. God shows up in this chapter and reminds them that He meant what He said when He said, Sarah will conceive and bear a child. Verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. That term right there, God Almighty, is the term El Shaddai. It means that God is, I mean, God is all-powerful. There are facets to God's character. He is omnipotent. That's what being almighty is. You you are all-powerful. There is no limit to your power. God is saying, I am God Almighty. And I love that God begins with assuring Abraham again, reminding him of his promise with who he is, a facet of his character, because I, I feel like the times that we lose sight of God's promise or we struggle with doubt, it's because we lose sight of who God is. Oftentimes it's an issue of doubt, not necessarily about the details, but about who God is, about His ability to fulfill 
what he, he said he would fulfill, about his truthfulness. And God says, right away, you need to understand, Abram, that I am God Almighty. Get that straight first. So he says, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, which was a, a, a typical thing for holy men who saw God and recognized the holiness of God. They would fall on their faces before God. Reminds me of that Mercy Me song, right? Surrounded by your glory. It's like, will I, uh, will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? To my knees will I fall? We can stop singing that because we know we're going to fall to our knees. We're going to fall on our faces. Like we, can stop, we can stop imagining. I can only imagine. <laughs> we're going to be on our faces, right? So Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means father, but your name shall be Abraham, father of many, father of a multitude. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So again, Abram spent 13 years walking, walking in a counterfeit promise. Remember, he made, he made things happen. He forced his hand to, 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 to bring about a son because he was tired of waiting on God and ran into all kinds of problems. If you want to know the, the issues that arise from striving and getting ahead of God, listen to last week's teaching on striving instead of trusting. But he gets ahead of God, and he's, he's come about 13 years of this, coming to accept that this is, the, this is the will of God. This was the plan of God. And after all, his name meant Father, and for, for however long, people would be like, hey, what's your name, Abram? Oh, Father, how many kids do you have? Well, I don't have any kids. And then finally, he makes it happen. And now he's got a kid, and now he's like, come on, ask me what my name is. Ask me, Father, how many kids do you have? I have a boy. I have a son. He's content with it now, and God's like, you missed it. In fact, I'm going to change your name now to Father of Many. So now when people ask you what your name is, you've got to go back to faith. What's your name, Father of Many? How many kids do you have? Well, I just have one. But God's moving. God's working. And I'm believing big things, right? So he, he, he changes his name, not just to keep him dependent and in, in, in moving in faith, but to remind him of, of the grand things that God has more for him. God's, God shows up. He's like, Abram, I can't allow you to settle for this counterfeit calling, for this counterfeit fulfillment of my promise. You'll be called a father of many. He's like, you're still thinking it's too hard for me. In the back of Abram's mind, he's like, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't realize Ishmael's not the promised son yet. He's thinking, yeah, this is great. Father of many, Ishmael's going to bring me all kinds of children and all kinds of nations, which Ishmael does, actually. But he's still thinking it was probably a little too much for the Lord to, to you know, allow Sarah to, to conceive, especially now because she's past age. She is, has gone through menopause by this, by this point. And so he's like, you're still thinking I can't, I can't allow Sarah to conceive. You're still thinking I needed your help to begin with. And God's like, you're wrong. This is a counterfeit. This isn't what I had for you. I have something more. Sarah will conceive, he'll go on to say. Verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and after, and after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant 
to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. This land that you're just traveling through, it will all be yours. And I will give it to them. And all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. He says, this nation is going to grow and rise and grow in multitude, and they will possess this land. And we know that nation is Israel today. And as we've watched God's plan unfold for Abram, remember that God isn't just moving on behalf of Abram because he likes Abram. He does. He loves Abram. But he's moving in the life of Abram for everybody because he's moving forward his plan of redemption, his plan of salvation. And the nation of Israel, this promised nation here, is a huge part of the plan of salvation. For a few reasons I just want to mention to you guys. Number one, the nation of Israel, they are the nation God chose to reveal himself uh, to mankind with. His interactions with the nation of Israel would be intentionally recorded for our learning, the Bible says. Romans, Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 10 both tell us these things written about the Jewish nation and their history were written for our learning, that we would read these things and learn spiritual lessons. It says that we would learn about judgment, that God judges, that we would learn about endurance and patience and hope through the storyline of the nation of Israel. We would learn about God's character. Romans chapter 3 tells us that to the Jewish nation was committed the oracles of God. Which means this nation that God was raising up out of Abram, they would be responsible for, del- for receiving the word of God, preserving the word of God, delivering the word of God to the rest of mankind. And that's what we actually see. In our generation, looking back through history, it's been the Jewish nation. They wrote the Old Testament. They wrote the majority of the New Testament. They preserved it for us today. And then, of course, the most important reason and part of Israel's plan in, in salvation is the fact that it was through them that the Messiah was to come. The Savior of the world would be born through Abram in the nation of Israel, through this chosen line. Now, we've been in this series that we call Multiplied. The reason why we've called this series in Genesis Multiplied is because multiply shows up, that word shows up numerous times, multiple times uh, throughout Genesis and what we see here, and what we, the, the big picture we want to maintain in our focus is that is God multiplies the animals and multiplies the, the population and multiplies the nation of Israel. God is not just trying to populate the earth. He's moving forward in this plan of redemption because he wants to multiply the population of heaven. And so let's, I just wanted to pause for a moment as we looked at the plans for Abram and realize the plans for Abram pertain to you and to, and to me. And it's very significant what he's building here, this nation. Verse 9. It says, And God said to Abram, Abraham, rather, I need to get used to the name change. As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every he's like, Okay, what's this covenant? What is it, Lord? Every male among you shall be circumcised. And he's like, Wait, what? What'd you say? Yes, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. In case you didn't know where that would take place, Abram, that's that's what that looks like. And it shall be a sign, underline that, be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Yikes. Has the Lord ever called you to something difficult? Right? It can't be as difficult as what Abram just heard. If it is, come see me after service. I'll pray for you. 
Um, but God now gives Abram, a, he gives him a sign. He's made a covenant with Abram. He's like, I'm giving you a mark, a sign. This would be a mark that the nation of Israel would carry, similar to how certain tribes get tattoos or brandings to distinguish themselves. God is giving them this mark that they would carry, and it was the mark of circumcision. But it was the sign of a covenant. What was the covenant itself? There were many facets to the covenant. The first, the first sign of the covenant to Abram was that he would become a nation, and through that nation, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abram. But another aspect of it was they would possess this land. Another aspect was, the most important aspect was that it was through faith and the example of Abram that people would become righteous. Righteousness by faith. These were a part of the Abrahamic covenant. And remember when God promised Abram this. Chapter 15, he actually drew up a contract. And he vowed, God vowed to fulfill the contract 100% himself. Abram just needed to believe. So there was nothing else needed for the fulfillment of the covenant, not even circumcision. So we we need to understand this. Circumcision was not Abram's end of the bargain. It was a sign that Abram had received the covenant. Post-covenant, post-work being done, post-faith, post-righteousness was was circumcision. For those of us who are non-Jewish Christians, uh, people of the new covenant, we have a similar sign that Christ has given us. It's baptism. And baptism is a sign of the salvation that's already taken place. So those who get saved, those who God is in their life, He's given them the Holy Spirit, they're stirred up. They're like, man, I want to get baptized in obedience to the Lord. It's a sign of the salvation already taking place, but it's not, however, the salvation itself. It doesn't add to the work of the cross, merely response to salvation that identifies ourselves with the nation of Christ. It's kind of like when we put on our Christian jersey, we're saying, I'm on Jesus' team. That's what baptism is. In a similar sense, that's what circumcision was to the nation of Israel. And I thank God our, our covenant, our, our sign is baptism, because man, Abram's, Abram's was a lot more difficult. Um, so Abram obeys the Lord, not because he thinks he's contributing to this promise and making it happen, but because he has true faith. And what did we say last week? Faith is believing God enough to obey His Word. Verse 12, He who is eight days among you, eight days old among you, shall be circumcised. Interesting note there, a lot of commentators mention how a lot of uh, infants, newborns, their, their blood lacks a vitamin K and different things to cause the blood to clot. And they say around eight days is actually the appropriate time to be able to cut. Uh, my, my boy, I have three boys, and I stood there while they all went through this procedure. But they all needed to get a shot of vitamin K in order for this to happen so their blood would clot. But around eight days, they say, is when a, a baby's uh, blood naturally begins to clot. So pretty amazing. God's like, those who are eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, but he who is born of your house or bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant. So it's like if, if they don't do this, they don't believe in me. It's, it's, it's evidence that there is no covenant. Uh, this covenant does not belong to them. Uh, when, and what I love about what God is saying here, though, 
If you look at the big picture, he's saying that this salvation and this covenant and this blessing is not exclusive to Abram and Abram's bloodline. It's not exclusive to Isaac and all the holy, holy line, the godly line. It is, it is offered to everyone and anyone who would receive it in Abram's household, in the, who could become a part of the nation that God was building in Abram. It's for everybody. And it's, the salvation is the same today. God is like anyone and everyone in your circle of influence, if they would receive this, they are a part of my family. If they would receive Jesus, the Bible says as many as would believe on Him and receive Him, to them they've given the right to become children of God. The Bible says that it's those who believe who, are fa- who have faith are, children of, are true, true children of Abraham. We all have this ability to be a part of the family of God. It's amazing. And the only ones who don't receive it are those who reject it. Those who reject the covenant. Those who do not have the faith to obey what God's Word says. Now, there's a very important New Testament verse that I think God is in there because it really helps us to understand things like circumcision, things like Sabbath rest, things like other aspects of the ceremonial laws and the various laws that were given throughout the Old Testament. It's, second, uh, uh, it's Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. And this verse helps us to discern uh, the law according to the New Covenant. Verse 16, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath, these were all aspects of the law. And there was a real issue in the early church in the first century. There were Jewish Christians who became known as Judaizers who were telling non-Jewish Christians that they had to become Jewish before they could really be saved. That they had to be practicing Jews before they could actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The early church addresses this. In fact, there's a council that gets together. The Holy Spirit leads them to say, no, they don't have to become Jewish to be saved uh, and and to walk with Christ. Um, But nevertheless, this was taking place. He says, don't let anyone judge you according to these things, according to these, these, these aspects of the law, because, verse 17, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I like what the, the, the New King James says, the substance is Christ. Or the, the NLT says, the reality is Jesus. The, the reality is Christ. So like you have the law, which is amazing. It's not done away with. It's fulfilled in Christ because the law was this beautiful shadow that led us to the substance itself, Jesus. And we, don't, we no longer um, worship at the shadow when Christ has come. Pastor Robert says a good analogy. He says, when my wife is walking into the doorway and I see her shadow, I love that shadow. But when she enters in the doorway, I don't fall on the ground and kiss the shadow because my wife has arrived. And Christ as a substance is the fulfillment of the law. So with regards to circumcision, the cool thing about this, guys, is everything in the law points to Jesus. It's a shadow or a hint a foretaste of something Jesus would fulfill. Circumcision is another one of these shadows that represents a reality found in Christ. And what is that reality? Well, when Christ comes into a person's life, um, circumcision of the heart is what takes place. True circumcision. God takes away our, our sinful hearts, or as it says in Ezekiel, our stony hearts. He gives us a heart of, a heart of flesh. He gives us a heart of sensitivity towards sin and towards righteousness. 
And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I hope you have. It's a very important part to the, to the, to the salvation process of being, being born again. I remember this process taking place in my life. I would listen to Christian music and read the Bible, and I'd be like, I don't get this. I, I would approach the Scriptures like it's some kind of mystical book, and I'd listen to Christian music. I'd be like, it's just so cheesy. I don't get it. It's just... But when God started to move into my life, man, I'd be driving down the road listening to Caleb, and I'm like, it's so true. And I'm like crying. You know what I mean? Like God does a work. He, he removes that, that sinful flesh in your heart and gives you a sensitive heart, sensitive to things of the Spirit. That's true circumcision. Circumcision is also a great picture of, of repentance. God calls us to do things in our life that really, guys, aren't easy. There are things in our lives that we allow before we come to Christ that God does not want for you or desire for you. Things that we get very accustomed to. Drugs, sex, pride, gossip. I mean, I could sit here and list a bunch of sins that we allow in our life that God's like, I don't want these. These are unhealthy things for you. And many of these sins, guys, guess what? It hurts to cut out of your life. It really does cost you something. It really is not, it's, it's not painless. It's similar to circumcision. But I want to tell you that repentance in your life is probably the greatest evidence to those around you that you really are circumcised in your heart, that you really are saved and born again. If there is no repentance, there's very little evidence to the people around you that God has done anything in your life. If you're still living in sin, but you're professing Christ, people know that. They can tell a circumcised heart. Even the, even the non-Christians can tell. But that's the greatest evidence is when we repent. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to tune into our next episode as we wrap up Genesis chapter 17. God bless you.